Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, theorists. Uh, So today we've got a very special guest, Megan Smith. Hello, everybody. I'm Megan. I work at Wizards of the Coast as a game designer. Uh, Yes, uh, we're so happy to have you on the show, and especially because of your your role on the Council of Colors as the representative for green. Um, So uh, today we're going to be talking all about green and commander, its strengths, its weaknesses, its power level relative to the other colors, and how Wizards is working to balance the color within the limits of the modern color pie. So before we get into all that, um, can you tell me what it means to be the green representative on the Council of Colors? Yeah, as you might be able to guess, uh, green cards are my main focus. Uh, Basically, I make sure every green card is doing what it should or shouldn't do. I try and find new space for green to operate in, as well as sometimes bring back some old space that green has operated in, in order to make sure that we're kind of giving a full view of what the color can do. So tell us about some of those changes. Like, How has green's color pie evolved in recent years? Well, the biggest thing that I think a lot of people will notice, and uh, if you've been paying attention, is that green and white share a lot of overlapped space. And what we've been doing mostly is changing white space, which has to change green as it changes. You know, we're trying to detangle the parts of white and green that are overlapping. So the things that have changed the most in green is a lot of the things that have changed the most in white. We want white to be this very strong, like, go-wide-centric color which means green takes you know, a secondary position to that. And we focus more on what green does best, which is big creatures, caring about having the biggest, baddest things on the battlefield. So one of those things that has changed recently is that go-wide nature of green. It's still a tokens color. It is still has the ability to go wide, but it's taking kind of a backseat to white, who should be doing it better. Interesting. Can you uh, give us some more examples of some of the mechanical overlap between white and green and uh, specifically how they they differ exactly on, on some of these um, these overlaps. Yeah, sure. So I already mentioned tokens. So both of these colors are really good at token making. Uh, counters is the second one. So plus one, plus one counters specifically. Keyword counters are kind of a different thing, uh, but how the colors put plus one, plus one counters on things. Counters and tokens are things that we look at in terms of sizing. So the difference, the main difference between white counters and tokens and green counters and tokens is how big they can get. So green will naturally be making the four fours and white tends to make the one ones and the two twos more often. Uh, when it comes to counters, white wants to put counters, usually like one counter across you know multiple creatures and green usually wants to front load all the counters onto one creature, just get one creature really, really big. So that's kind of a, a really like basic level look at how those two interact. Interesting. So green is going to be more about going tall and, and white's more about going wide. Um, yep. And not to say green can't go wide because that is still part of green, uh, but it is just leaning more into the strengths of those colors and what they do best with going wide or going tall. Gotcha. Um, so another thing that like I noticed that there's a lot of overlap on between these two colors is artifact and enchantment destruction. That's something that both colors can do. Is there any way uh, in which you're, you're trying to separate out how they do them? Um, a little bit, but it's a little more nuanced. I think it comes down to more the rate, like the cost and effect that you're getting. Uh, green is the, the more hateful of the two cards towards artifacts and enchantments. Um, so it tends to get the better rates for 
things like return to nature, you know, a, a two mana instant speed. Gotcha. Um, white tends to be better at wiping out like a whole slew of things. So you see these on like destroy non-land permanents and things like that. Um, white can exile. Uh, we've started dipping our toes into green exile. There was a card. I can't remember the name of it now, but it was in the uh, Midnight Hunt precons, I believe. That's one of green's like first, well, not first, but it's one of green's exile uh, artifact or enchantment cards. Um, so we've been trying to figure out how each of those looks um, and mostly, like I said, it comes down to the rate and the strength of the effect. Green will generally be stronger and a better rate to do it. Gotcha. Uh, and, and then one last thing I was kind of curious about uh, related to this, uh, the, the similarities between green and white's color pie is granting indestructibility. Is this uh, something that's uh, shared equally between the two colors or is this something that also has some, some nuances in how it applies to either one? Yeah, this one is one of those nuanced ones, and it's you could probably guess this. It ties into basically how the two build their boards. So white likes to build go wide, and green builds go tall. So it makes sense that white gets the go wide board protection, and green would get more individual protect my biggest thing protections. So for instance, heroic intervention is a you know a classic beloved green indestructible spell. Um, we've been trying to move that ability more into white with you know make it stand, uh, make a stand. Um, there's a new card in SNC, the Crescendo. I can't remember the, the first part. There's uh, something, something, something Crescendo. No um, worries. Been- I understand you You tend to work with cards like throughout the process and name change names change a lot. So don't, don't stress too much on that. No worries. But uh, the main point is that white wants to protect its very large board. And we want to make sure green is protecting only the most important things on its board. Okay, great. Um, Speaking of, so would heroic of intervention be something that maybe like wouldn't see print uh, these days? It would have to have a more thematic tie to something that green is doing. Um, so just a flat, always get indestructible, no hoops to jump through. No, that's definitely what white would do. But if it was uh, something tied to uh, creatures with N or more power, so four or more is usually uh, like the hoop that green gets. Uh, three or four power. Um, so if it was only saving your biggest things and letting all your small things go, something like that would be acceptable, but uh, it's not something that we're really pushing on right now. Interesting. Uh, well, on a related note, are there any green cards that have been printed in the last couple of years that you'd go back and tweak if you could? Um, there's, yeah, there's a couple and the tweaking is really because we've come as a council, we've just come to, uh, more of a stronger stance on if this is a green effect or not. So one that happened recently was Toski from Call Time, which is a four mana one, one squirrel with indestructible. Uh, and it basically makes any creature that deals combat damage, draw you a card. So it's, it's just a very good, uh, coastal piracy for green. Uh, this isn't something that green really should have access to because it goes into that really like go wide strategy. Toski's very good when you have a bunch of small creatures that can get around. Uh, we really want to encourage you to draw your cards through the things that green does that are big and flashy. Um, so that's one card that maybe we would adjust now, but it was one that we kind of recently decided was uh, out of green's color pie moving forward. So it's not that it's like off limits. It was just something that we decided we didn't want green to be doing anymore. So that sort of effect is going to be sort of solely in blue or maybe like blue X multicolor going forward? Yep. 
Things like that, for sure. Um, drawing cards in general has been one of those things that has moved around in Green's color pie. Green has had access to a lot of really strong uh, draw card abilities that weren't always appropriate. So this is just one of those cards where we could easily pull back on how much of this we we're giving. Uh, Beast Whisper is another example of a card that really helps you when you're playing a bunch of small creatures. Mm-hmm. You know, all your one and two drop creatures suddenly become cantrips. They draw you a card. Um, we wanted to move that out of green as well because that's encouraging that small creature deck that we want to be more of a white thing. Whereas we want to reward you for playing like one big creature turn, such as with like Garrick's Uprising. You know, play a four power creature, get your card, do the thing. Can I ask a spin-off question to that? Um, sure. So these cards see print and you get to see people play with them. Um, when are those decisions made? Like, is it when you gather enough data? that someone comes to everyone and says like okay like people have been talking about toski is it like your own opinions where you kind of see how people have been using the cards or like how how is that like feedback kind of obtained when you guys make these decisions on the color pie yeah there's a quite there's quite a few different avenues sometimes it comes from the public opinion of just like oh this should have been a white card you know that spurred a lot of discussion on the color council of how can we make people see that this isn't a white effect. Well, we should design the white card that does that thing that people mm-hmm. said should have been white. Um, so some of it is is trying to give the things that people are asking for. You know, people constantly said white wasn't strong enough, so we, we made changes there. For green, one of the things that made it so strong that we got a lot of feedback on is that green just draws a lot of cards in a lot of different ways. Yeah. <laughs> so we really took a hard look at green's card drawing and said, this is something we could very easily pull back on by limiting how green is drawing its cards. So it was a little bit of feedback from public opinion, internal opinion, and it was also a compromise on how to shift the color pie where green doesn't have its fingers in every one of the color pies as much. It has, you know, one or two that it does really well and kind of just like edges into the other ones less so. So that was more of a group decision fueled by feedback. Okay, cool. That's that's really interesting to hear. You all do a very good job of being fairly transparent about how everything's happening but there's so much happening that sometimes like it's it's hard to tell <laughs> like what what is actually like the the most effective way to reach you guys or or if it was just like someone internally was like okay you know you know that Toski guy like i don't think we should do that anymore or something like that <laughs> you know so that's cool thank you yeah, of course. It's it's something that even internally we have to kind of brush each other up on. You know, we had a, a a meeting like maybe six months ago where we just presented to the whole studio kind of the updated color pie. Uh, it was about the same time that Mark Rosewater's article came out on the updated mechanical color pie. Oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of we released that and then we realized, you know, we could just let everybody read all of that and try and synthesize all that information. Or we could just do a quick five minute presentation by all the counselors internally. And just kind of hit the highlights of, hey, this is all changed. This is new. This is what we're focusing on. And that kind of brings everyone onto the same page quicker. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, I'm kind of curious, like, uh, how much of the the changes in Green's Color Pie are sort of driven by, like, examining mechanics? And how much do, is, does the flavor and philosophy of Green get involved? Like, um in what ways does the flavor and philosophy of green like constrict designers and how do you think it, it's flavor and philosophy lead designers to make color pie bends or breaks? Yeah, this is a really interesting uh, question. Um, 
I think it can be easy to overcomplicate green cards or try to make them do too much. Um, it does feel like green has a lot of access to all these different effects, um, but when you look at it, green does actually lack interaction with some major card types. Green generally doesn't care so much about instants or sorceries or artifacts in the way that some of the other colors do. You know, we don't have a lot of spell cast triggers uh, like red and blue do. So when you look at how green can interact, it really is focused on mainly uh, creatures and permanents uh, and things like that. So the philosophy of green being so uh, permanent focused and being so um, less about those instant sorceries does constrict our design space um, quite a bit. So that's when we kind of lend ourselves to the, uh, you know, wall of text problem. You know, we have to make the card do more or have more effects uh, that are all green effects uh, just to make it look like compared to, you know, kind of the, the spacious blanket of effects that other colors have access to where they can do kind of a lot of trinkety little things here and there that make it feel like it has more going on. So that is one thing that we kind of find happen from time to time is we just have creatures that just have a lot of words on them. Uh, because it has to do so much for the color. Interesting. Yeah, I, I bet that's challenging in spaces like Strixhaven, like finding the the green component of a, a world that's really focused on spells. Yeah, I didn't get to work on Strixhaven myself, so I can't talk too much about that personally. But uh, that is a, just a good example of where we have to really uh, dig deep on what green can do to to feel unique there. Uh, so I want to like lean a little bit sort of into commander here. Um, how do you think the rules of commander affect green's strengths and weaknesses? I think green is a really good color in commander. I think ramping and large threats uh, scale really well into multiplayer. Um, I think having you know a bunch of really efficient spells is not so much important as having a couple of really large things that players might not be able to efficiently remove or efficiently deal with. So I think that the rules of commander really play well into the strengths of green. Uh, green really is here to facilitate playing the game. You know, if you hit your land drops and you're drawing a decent amount of cards, you're probably in pretty good shape in most commander pods. Um, I think that, uh, you know, when you're looking at how to end games easily, some of the easiest ways to end games are killing, you know, just dealing 120 damage uh, amongst your opponents. And the best and easiest way to do that is just have a really large couple of creatures hitting your opponents every turn. Um, so I think green really does have a lot of advantages there. So so you've talked a little bit about like the typical green playstyle and commander. What do you think, or rather, like what types of counterplay to the green, like ramp and then play a big finisher strategy? Like what kinds of counterplay does Studio X want to enable? Uh, because green's uh, strengths rely so much on being on the board, I think that the best thing that we can do is just to make sure that we have ways to answer those the board presence of green. Uh, that could be board wipes, it could be individual removal spells, it could simply be ways that you can flip the board state by, you know, gaining control of your your green green opponent's big creatures and hitting them back with them. Um, so really just making sure that we have answers to permanence is kind of the, the easy answer there. Um, but, you know, one good board wipe could spell lights out for the average green player, you know, a mono green player. Um, 
So making sure that the answers uh, scale with the threats, basically. And is there any interest in like finding ways to counter Green's ramp, especially land ramp? Yeah, we've been experimenting with this a little bit. Um, some super recent examples would be uh, Smuggler Share or Spiteful Repossession, which came out of the Streets of New Capenna uh, pre-cons. This is kind of our way of, you know, giving players either a chance to catch up or a chance to kind of like flip the tables on uh, a player that's kind of getting out of control with their lands. We've also had some previous examples. Confounding Conundrum was one that I thought was just a pretty silly card uh, that came out of Zendikar Rising, um, of trying to find ways to counteract lands without actually destroying them. Um, like land destruction has been something that we just find tends not to be very fun. Um, so we, we've been trying to find ways that we can answer the lands without reverting to just designing Armageddons, for instance. Speaking a little bit more about ramp, um, what are, or, or rather, does does Green have a, a monopoly on mana acceleration? How is mana acceleration d- divided among the colors? And, and what parts of mana acceleration are solely greens and off limits to other colors? Uh, so there are two types of mana production. We have permanent mana production, which tends to be uh, creatures that tap for mana or lands. Um, and then we have temporary mana production, production, which is, you know, rituals, uh, pyretic ritual, cabal, uh, cabal ritual, things like that. Words that l- literally have the word ritual in them. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it comes to permanent mana production, resources stick around a lot longer than one turn. Uh, green is by far uh, the top of, of that stack. Um, then it would come blue, which might sound like a surprise to some people, um, but blue's permanent mana production is usually linked more closely with the things that blue cares about. So uh, you'll add mana for you know to cast only artifacts or to cast only spells. So blue, even though it is second in permanent mana production, is limited by only being able to ramp into things that blue already cares about. And then below that is black. Uh, black tends to have you know costly mana production that's permanent. Um, it requires you to pay some amount of life. Maybe it requires you to, you know, discard cards, things like that, um, or sacrifice creatures. So that one is a little bit more uh, nebulous in the terms of what it looks like on the board. Um, but that is basically the stack ranking for the the top three. Um, for temporary mana production, this is primarily red space. You know, red is the very impulsive, I need, I need the power now sort of color. And black is... Cl- uh, followed closely behind that in the sort of, you know, all or nothing space, the the very big ambitious turn sort of style. Um, in terms of effects that we want to keep in green, I think being able to fix all of your colors by tutoring out lands is something that we don't want to bleed heavily into other colors. You see this all the time with white cards that say you can search your deck for a planes uh, we've been putting basic planes in front of that a lot because we don't want white to contend with green being able to fetch out your dual lands, f- fetch out your temple gardens and things like that. Um, so we do that in order to make it so that green is the one that is the best at being able to find all of your colors, put them into play so that you can you know, get on with your, your three color, four color, five color decks. Um, so that one is something that we've been trying to pay close attention to. There are some times when we'll uh, you know, allow the basic to slip off of the planes and let players have, you know, a little bit of uh, flexibility with that, but it's not something that we want to do all the time and especially not in all the colors. Uh, sort of follow on question to that. Like, 
if if green is supposed to be the the color that is best at fixing, how do you think that that impacts the representation of different colors in multicolor decks? Um, I think that multicolor deck construction is all about making up for the weaknesses of the other color. Um, so for me, green goes into my deck as like the glue. It's here to make sure that my deck functions, that I can play all the cards that I want, that I can get ahead. But green has weaknesses. You know, we just talked about, you know, board uh, protection spells moving out of green. That would choose me. That would make me choose to seek out white cards in order to protect my my green board more because I don't have access to that just by being green. So green's ability to fix your colors, I think, is important to make up for the weaknesses of the other color's ability to have access to mana or to be able to have the colors that they need on time. So green functions there to me, in my opinion, as the glue for multicolor decks. It is there to make those decks function in the way that you want them to more easily. Obviously, we have, uh, you know, mana rocks and things like that that help you fix your colors in, you know, in, in some of those ways. Uh, but green should be the strongest at doing Gotcha. I think like you mentioned temporary mana production earlier, and I think the elephant in the room is sort of how treasure fits into that. Um, so can you talk a little bit about like green's slice of the color pie with regards to treasure production? Yeah, so treasure is something that I think that we are still learning about. Um, it seems fairly innocuous when you just think, oh, it's just mana. Um, but, you know, we've been, we've proven and, you know, our fans have proven to us that treasure is just it's more than just the mana. So it is something that we're constantly trying to experiment with and learn about and trying to really understand the strengths uh, of this ability. Um, in terms of green's relationship to treasure, uh, to put it in just like technical terms, green is secondary, I believe, to red in treasure production. And what that means when we say secondary and primary for uh, you know people who don't know, primary just means your access to that color. It doesn't necessarily mean your... Um, how often it's used or how often you see it. It's, are you able to do this with, you know, just a card from hand and nothing else uh, going on for you? Um, secondary is, you know, moderate access. You don't have unfettered access. You do have some hoops you have to jump through in order to get this thing. So for Green Treasure, the elephant of the room, I believe, is Bootlegger Stash from SNC. Um, this is tied heavily to your lands. If you're not ramping, then you're not really getting full value out of the treasures. You also have to tap your land in order to make the treasure, which means you're giving up a mana to get a mana. It feels mana neutral, but the, the semi-permanence of treasure certainly scales. And I think that's where people kind of point at it and say, like, why does green need this? Like, this is just like, this is such a, you know, it's just so much mana. What, is, what does green need so much mana for? And it's, well, green, green is the mana color. Um, so. In, in that sense, treasure is something that we, we don't want green to do from hand as just like, make five treasure on a spell. You know, that doesn't play into anything green cares about. That's just not something that green does. But something that says you have to have lands in play and you have to use your lands to make your treasure, it's, it's, it's trying to get you to, to jump through the required hoops there. Gotcha. And then do you have any thoughts on um, Old Gnawbone as well? That's another big green treasure producer i have thoughts on old knobbone um it's a big green flying treasure producer there's mm -hmm. a lot of words on here that don't seem very green at first um 
This uh, flying is tertiary in green. We do it very rarely and uh, only for very good reasons. And dragons are great reasons uh, to put flying on green creatures. Uh, generally, they tend to be like birds of paradise or xanted swarms, you know. Yeah, those little, uh, just like small little yeah. bugs, right? But, you know, a, a dragon is a good place to use green's tertiary flying for uh, a very flavorful set like Adventure in the Forgotten Realms, which dragons are in the name Dungeons and Dragons. Gotta have, <laughs> gotta have a green dragon. Uh, so Old Gnawbone was probably a combination of a couple of desires. Um, I didn't work on this set, so I don't want to, I don't want to say too much, yeah. um, but it is a card that I think we wouldn't do exactly the same way again. It's a similar, similar thing to maybe Toski. Gnawbone, Old Gnawbone is rewarding kind of a, a kind of a green strategy, like, you know, uh, getting, a big thing into play and then making mana. Um, but I think we designed it maybe slightly differently now, um, just to kind of keep in mind that green has moved to secondary in mana uh, in treasure production from when that card was designed. Um, so it might make less treasure or it might be limited in another way. Can, okay. Can I, yeah. Can I ask a kind of spinoff question on, onto this one too? Um, so treasure, um, it feels like a lot of the reason why people don't, like I mean, some something that I feel this way too, but other people and our like our patrons have talked about is like treasure being an artifact feels bad, but kind of like you the point you hit on treasure is also like it's multicolor fixing. You want to make sure green is like the color that can allow that to happen. Do you think if treasure had started in green, do you think this is like a PR misconception? Like if if treasure had started in green in like Ixalan that maybe we wouldn't be having these conversations or do you, this, this is a pretty subjective question. So uh, it's pretty open-ended, but sometimes I've, that's something I've been thinking about is like maybe cause treasure does do most of the things that we've talked about here that you've mentioned. Like, is this just a PR misconception because of how we all saw treasure kind of fall into the world? Um, this would be probably a more personal opinion, so not, mm -hmm. not widely held by the studio. Um, but I think that there is a little bit of a disservice where treasure was super flavorful as literal piles of gold and yeah. <laughs> jewels and, you know, the, the pirate treasure hordes. Um, if this had been flavored for a different set at a different time, possibly we could have maybe, uh, made this more of like a nature's bounty sort of thing. Like this is you have stumbled into the jungle and you have come across, you know, an oasis and there's, you know, just like a, a clearing full of, you know, uh, honeydew flowers that are just like oozing with, with honey and, you know, mm -hmm. it's all very natural based. I think there could have been a flavor there, but uh, because it came out in Ixalan, treasure was just, you know, so perfect for, for that setting. Um, it's something that I'm thinking about as we're visiting planes that are a little bit different from the traditional fantasy settings that we've been visiting. So Neo Kamigawa and Streets of Nukapena are holistically very different from planes that we've visited previously. Oh, you know, yeah, absolutely. Uh, even Kaladesh, like we have vehicles, like things like cars, you know, we have a limousine, uh, we have skyscrapers, you know, all of it is still magically flavored. Um, but something that I saw that was interesting feedback when SNC came out is, um, how does green as a natural color make its impression 
in a city, in a plane that is that is a giant city. Mm-hmm. In Ravnica, the, the previous plane that was a city, you know, we had the Selesnia Guild. We had, you know, these big expanses of nature that kind of broke up the city, kind of very Central Parky uh, in New York feeling. Um, so we kind of have to think about how green evolves in its environment on any individual plane. You know, green... If the city is just skyscrapers and limos and streets and and lights, what is green here? Like, what is nature? Like, what is going on? Um, so looping that back to treasure, um, I think the conception that green has to be nature-based and has to be grass and animals and tree-based is just a, a product of how we've positioned green in the past, of how we've painted green flavorfully in all these past magic sets. And I think as we explore new sets and new uh, settings, I think green will evolve in people's minds where this might not be such a, a culture shock moving forward. That's my hope. That's my, my opinion. That's my hope yeah. uh, is that green kind of gets, its, uh, gets a, a new identity every time we visit a new plane. We kind of think about what green is uh, in more ways. Mm-hmm. So, that's fascinating. Yeah, sorry, that's go really ahead, cool. Zach. Oh, no, I, I was basically going to say the same thing. That's really cool. So. I mean, th- this is something that I think uh, a lot of like veteran Magic players who basically were on Dominaria for a lot of their like early Magic playing uh, kind of have these impressions that you're talking about. Like, this is what green is. This is what the colors do. Basically, we could probably expect as we go to more places that like hmm, I'm trying. I guess I'm trying to say like as we go to more planes. Are you saying that it might be possible to see like the core essence of the color so that like green does this so it looks like this on this plane white does this so it looks like this on this plane that kind of stuff yeah i think that's a a vague enough thing that i can i could say is something that we always try and do is try and give you know take the identity of the plane and figure out what that means for the color that it's representing um Mm -hmm. you know like artifact heavy planes like kaladesh or mirrodin um, you know, what do, what does nature look like on these planes where there's so much machinery, there's so much metal, there's, you know, so much of this, like what feels unnatural to us, but is very natural for that. Um, so I think that's a, a good thing to continue, continue to try and experiment with, um, because I think it is just a cool flavor to, to try and broaden. Yeah, absolutely. I I definitely love that kind of stuff. So I have a, a couple questions. I'm going to try not to ask you too much about uh, the the other seats on the Council of Colors and the other colors, um, but I just have a, a couple points of clarification I want to make. Um, so regarding, I mean, you mentioned earlier that like green is supposed to be the color for fixing your colors, and, and that when you do ramp in other colors, you try not to allow them to to fix for you know for example the as you mentioned the like white creatures that ramp can only get basic planes typically um so how does that fit with treasure production like is is treasure production in non-green colors giving them access to something that they shouldn't have not necessarily but you will notice that for instance i think everyone has pointed out that white does not get as much access to treasure and that's kind of part of it um it's part of the ramping aspect it's part of the fixing access um i think that fixing colors isn't something 
so exclusive to green. You know, we do have just mana rot, like, you know, signets that will fix your colors, like a colorless card that will do this thing for you. Um, so it's not difficult to say that other colors could do this. Um, treasure is one of those things where we're still learning about it. So we still want to try and figure out what are the limits that each color should be doing these things. Um, so I think there's still more to learn. And I think that we're um, not at the final destination for who's definitively a treasure color. That's my personal opinion um, as we continue to experiment and work. with. I had one more question on the, the mana production issue. You mentioned that like temporary production is or sorry, uh, permanent mana production is centered in green and then a little bit of bleed into blue. Um, how does uh, Giada Font of Hope fit into that? This is the, the white card from Streets of Nukapenna that taps for a white that can only be spent on angels. Yeah, so that's a good question. That's a, a really good card to point out. Um, this falls under the type of mana production that is very niche jada only taps white for angels um so she is just a very specific sort of mana creature we do have other cards that make your angels cost one less so it's not impossible that jada was going to happen we have precedent um but we do want to encourage these strategies as long as they are niche i think angels is one of it's even more niche than artifacts or instants and sorceries for instance so it's one of those things where we won't, you know, we won't give every single creature type its own, lore, you know, its own two mana mana dork. Um, but angels are beloved. Uh, they're very relevant for the magic set that's uh, ongoing right now. Streets of New Capenna, angels. Um, so it is, it is something where we allow these things to exist when there is a really good reason for it. Um, it's not necessarily a bend or a break. Uh, this is just one of those things that is allowed to exist when there's um, uh, enough action for it. All right. I know I said that the last one was the last question on uh, <laughs> mana production, but this is the real last one. Uh, so how does cost reduction, um, how is that divided among the colors? Is that something that's equal, equally shared or is, are there rules for how that gets distributed as well? That's one that I'm a little less familiar on uh, because green doesn't do cost reduction as much. I generally leave it to the blue and the red uh, color councils uh, who care about those to you know vet those cards a little bit more. So I will admit to my uh, lack of knowledge on that particular aspect of the color pie, uh, but that does fall into more temporary mana where you might not always have the card you need to cast that would be cost reduced. Um, and in general, we just try and, you know, watch out for those cards, you know, the Barals, the Goblin Electromancers of the world, uh, and just kind of like keep an eye on those to make sure they're not undermining any weaknesses uh, of the colors. So not getting them too much additional mana or not fixing, you know, making their spells cost a red less or something like that, where maybe they weren't supposed to do that. So there's some experimentation there, but uh, in general, that's not my area of expertise. Okay. I uh, appreciate the answer. Um, all right. This is maybe a little bit more broad of a question, but how closely aligned are the types of design that the types of designs that greens that green needs to play well in 20 life formats 
uh, and, and the type of designs that green needs to be effective in commander? Uh, I think the cards that do well in both 20 life formats and 40 life formats are generally fall into two categories or maybe three categories. They really rely on the card's ability to scale either with mana, with damage, so the stats on a creature comparative to other creatures, uh, or you know some kind of card advantage or some other form of threat um, that doesn't fall into the other two buckets. Uh, so, for example, like Nissa, who shakes the world, is a card that scales well. What scales well in both twenty life and forty life formats because uh, she provides mana acceleration. Uh, she promises an ultimate, and she also creates threats on the board um, that either protect her or can put pressure onto your opponent. Uh, if you combine combine her with uh, you know one mana mana dorks like Landwar Elves, which we see, I believe, in Pioneer, uh, the deck becomes extremely fast. It's scaling on mana. And then it's scaling into a powerful threat. Um, the same kind of threat can just run away with a commander game. Uh, if you get, you know, 10 mana ahead of your opponent because you're doubling all your forests, uh, I mean, you're going to be able to put out threats that aren't so easily answered by, you know, single target removal or, you know, a single board wipe. Um, so I think that when you try and scale in those ways, I think you're going to have a lot of success. I think the cards that tend to be less successful when going from 20 cards to 40 cards are cards like Questing Beast. Um, mm. Questing Beast has a lot of words on it, and not all of them are great for a multiplayer format. Um, but in a 1v1 format, the card is you know just extremely powerful. Um, so that's one card where I think a lot of people would say like it's powerful, but not in the ways that multiplayer would need it to be powerful. Um, cards like Lanwar Elves can be seen in car, you know decks all the way up to you know legacy style decks you know legacy elves uh, so we all know how powerful mana dorks can be in accelerating your mana so I think that being a strength of green just means that green designing for standard generally tends to scale well into the multiplayer given its ability to be able to play all of its you know biggest creatures uh, either ahead of curve or, or on time. Do you think that there's a difference between green and the other colors in terms of how easy it is to make a card that's successful in both 20 life formats and commander? Yes and no. I think it's really easy for us to keep making ramp cards. I think ramp ramp will always be good in commander uh, when you have to be able to answer three times the number of threats or deal with three times the number of opponents. So I think that our ability to make successful ramp cards is, you know, just as easy. The trick is, you know, obviously making them not too powerful for standard. And that's where, you know, sometimes we miss, you know, the, the ramp card doesn't quite hit where it needs to. Hmm. Um, but I think that there are some effects in other colors that I think scale a little bit better. Um, I think, you know, blue's card draw is just unmatched. You know, I think being able to find your find your answers and be able to consistently uh, be able to one for one yourself with your opponent and still be in an advantage is extremely powerful. Um, and I think that's just true in a lot of 20 life formats. Blue is one of the premier most played colors in a lot of older formats due to the efficiency of the blue cards, the efficiency of the draw, things like that. Um, so I think that that's something that um, another color would do better than green in some cases. 
Um, but I think that there's not a good blanket answer to that question. I think it does kind of come down to individual cards. Gotcha. Uh, all right, we're we're getting towards the end here. Just a couple more questions. What mechanics? Uh, which of Green's mechanics do you think are the most important to keep out of other colors in order for Green's gameplay to remain distinct? I think if Green was ever the smallest creature on the battlefield, I would be very, very sad. <laughs> um, I love my Gigantosauruses. I love my five mana ten tens. Um, mm. I think that that's just something that Green has a corner market on is just having... Um, the ability to just make these giant threats, these you know giant dinosaurs, the Tarask, um, these cards that um, I love so much. Um, so sizing really is one of the things that we look at a lot is just like, is there another color? Is there another creature that is the same cost and bigger and better than this card? And if so, why? What is the reasoning? And is that okay for us? So for me, creature size matters a lot. Um, there's uh, some effects that I think are a little overlappy between green and red um, in reference to sizing. So things that like double power and toughness like uh, Xenagos. Mm. Uh, but there was a card that came out in, I believe, Midnight Hunt that doubles all of your, all of your creatures' power and toughnesses at, on each combat. And it's triple green uh, or quadruple green. I can't remember. I think it's quad uh, but- green, yeah. I love that card. As soon as it as soon as it came out in paper, I slotted it into my mono green deck right away. This is the exact kind of card that I want green to have. I want to encourage those big, big creatures. So um sizing and things like that, I think it's important to make sure that uh green has like the exclusive access to. There are some other things. Um there's like smaller effects like uh your eternal witnesses, for example, your ability to get back any card from your graveyard. Um, this is almost exclusively a green thing. Other colors can get back cards that they care about, such as you know, Archaeomancer in blue can get back instants and sorceries. Uh, green can technically get back instants and sorceries, but we don't usually explicitly say that. We, yeah. we usually <laughs> just say any card, right? And that just includes instants and sorceries. Um, so green being able to get you back anything is important uh, to me to make sure that green kind of has that space. We want one color that can do that. Um, to make sure that players have access to that somewhere um, or that effect exists somewhere. So that's something that I hold uh, not to a high standard, but I I do take a look at all those regrowths. I do look at the devious cover-up style cards that are like shuffling cards in and I'm like, mm, does this do it better than green does? Uh, and kind of give it a, a side eye just to make sure that it's not encroaching on that space. Um, but there's uh, besides that, and I think we've covered a ton on ramping. I think those are kind of the core, the core things to green. Uh, green isn't so beholden to these things um, like some other colors, the counter spells in blue, for example, um, where it's just something that we only want in blue very rarely in other colors and with you know very good reasons. Um, green doesn't have a ton of things like that. Um, a lot of green effects are generally pretty healthy effects um, that we don't mind giving out like here and there to other colors. Interesting. All right. For this this last question, I know, uh, I know you're you're biased as you are the green council member, but uh, do you think that the core gameplay of green is is more fun than the other colors? Well, I've already admitted I have a mono green deck. Um, <laughs> I did build that deck after becoming the green color counselor, so it's a little biased. But 
Uh, it is my it is my technically correct green deck. It has no <laughs> color bends or breaks in it. Um, so no harmonizes, none of that. Get it out of there. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, I do enjoy that deck. I have more green decks than I have non-green decks, you know, decks with green in them. Mm -hmm. Um, but personally, I, I don't think it's my favorite color. Um, I, I love color combinations more than I love any one color more than the rest. Uh, so I'm really drawn to the way that colors interact together more than any one color interacts on its own. So kind of going back to the strengths and weaknesses of colors. Um, I love finding a color combination that just complement each other really well. Um, that tends to have green in it um, because I like having that consistency of mana. I like being able to cast my spells. Ramping is always fun. Um, and it's more of an enabler for the other things that I find that are fun. So I enjoy what green allows me to do with the other colors in my deck. Um, and you know, who doesn't love an Avenger of Zendikar just like hitting the board with like 50 tokens. Um, so there, there are things I love about green, but I think I love what green does in combination with other colors more than the things it does by itself. Gotcha. Uh, do you think that, um, I mean, to, to some extent with like these, these recent changes to white's color pie, for example, like there has been, um, it feels like there's been some a shift in philosophy in that like certain effects are essential to gameplay in multiplayer formats. And so like white is able to get a little bit of card draw if it's in a very white way. Um, do you think that mana fixing is one of those essential needs for multiplayer uh, for say commander like formats? Um, or do you think that that, should remain solely green's area of the color pie. I think we need colors that specialize. I think when the colors start bleeding into each other, we really lose the sense of identity for those colors and what they represent. If white could start ramping or drawing cards the same way that green and blue does, then the only thing that comes down to the difference in those colors is what creature or what effect has the best mana cost or the best stats with that effect on it. It starts becoming too homogenous. Um, the strength of magic is in all the different play styles that all the colors have and how they play differently with each other. That's what I think is, is what makes magic so great. So for me, if we start bleeding that kind of effect or the card draw effects, too liberally i think that's where we start to lose some of the magic of magic um and it starts being just uh you know what are the three best colors that all do the same effect so on and so forth so i think it is important that uh green specializes in ramping for that reason uh, because i do think that it makes you it just changes how you view the game it changes how you play the game it changes how you build your decks and that's so important to magic success. All right. Well, thanks for that answer. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Uh, I am just one voice of many. We are all, uh, all of us on the color councils, everyone who designs for magic. We are all kind of stewards of the color pie in our own way. Um, so we all work together to make sure that we are making magic 
as fun as possible. We never want to punish a color. So I always just want to like preface these discussions and just say that it's never one single person's decision for a card. There's always a group behind every decision and it's always in the best interest of the game. So we we listen to the feedback, we hear from the players and really we love magic as much or more than you do and we just want to make sure that we're we're doing our best uh, within the confines that we have. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate you coming on the show and and uh, really digging into the nitty gritty of what makes green green and and distinct from the other colors. Um, so thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been great to have you on here. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. You can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Commander Theory. And on Twitter, I am at Fat Bartleby. You can also email us at commandertheory at gmail.com. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Nick Cage. You can check him out on SoundCloud. And if you're interested in some other creative products I'm working on, I have a band you can check out. We are a pink punk, pop punk band called The Have Nots, all one word like Cosmonauts. Uh, You can listen to all of our music for free right now. You can just head over to thehavenots.bandcamp.com. That is T-H-E-H-A-V-N-A-U-T-S.bandcamp.com. And check us out. Let me know what you think.